Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Al D. This is a show designed for aspiring current and former MBAs looking for advice on how you can grow your career through an MBA degree. During each episode, I'll talk to MBA students, graduates, and leaders about the MBA experience, navigating the workplace, and career development so you can learn how to develop and achieve your own version of career success through an MBA and beyond. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast, and today's guest is David Bradford. David is a senior lecturer at the Stanford Graduate School of Business, as well as a co-author of Connect and Relate, Building Exceptional Relationships with Family, Friends, and Colleagues. And this book is based on the landmark class, Interpersonal Dynamics, most affectionately known as Touchy Feely. This is, I think, one of the most popular courses, I believe, at Stanford's Graduate School of Business for many years running. And I'm delighted to have David on today to talk a little bit about the book, as well as just some of his own experiences observing MBA students and alum as they've navigated through their careers and developed as leaders. David, it's so lovely to have you here today. I know that you, I brought you on to talk a little bit about your book and about the class touchy-feely, and we're going to get to that in a second. But I guess maybe just to start off, would you like to say just a few words about yourself and how did you get to teaching this beloved course? Okay. Well, I came to Stanford actually 54 years ago, so a long, long time. So my career has mostly been at Stanford. I was recruited by Stanford because a previous assistant professor had started this course, and he didn't get tenure. They knew I knew this material and the technology, so they said, would you develop it? So over the 50 years that I taught, it moved from one section to we now teach 12 sections. 85% of the students take this elective. It's seen as the sort of the must course to take in your MBA program. So it's very gratifying uh, to have been part of this journey. I can imagine that to be the case, I guess, maybe as a starting place. So the course you teach is called Interpersonal Dynamics, but it's more most affectionately known as touchy-feely. Why Why do you think this course really took off and became so popular? Because if I understand correctly, it has been rated as the top course for many years. And I know anecdotally, some of my friends who have been to and graduated from GSB have just raved about it and have said such good things about it. Is there any reason in particular that you believe that this course struck such a tone, particularly with MBA students and graduates? Well, I think there's two main reasons. One is we are increasingly knowing that building strong, robust relationships is crucial. There's evidence that people who have those sort of relationships live longer, are healthier, better mental health, less likely to get depressed, and they're also more productive. But we also know that that's central to organizational success, that organizations are held together by the network of relationships that you build not by the organization chart. So our students, all of whom have had work experience, know that that ability to build relationship with people who are different, who may be difficult initially, but they have to work with is a crucial leadership competence. That's one reason. The other reason is this course is very self-validating. Too many students, MBAs, walk around with the notion 
that if I'm to be a leader, influential, powerful, attractive, sexy, whatever you want, I have to be something other than I am. And what we repeatedly find is that the more that I show myself in an appropriate way, the more influential, the more people want to follow me. And so people in this course feeling affirmed about who they are and knowing what they are can be used as a leader, as a friend, as a partner. So one of the things that I think is unique about the course is perhaps the format of it. It isn't just a straight lecture like many other courses. Could you talk a little bit about some of the uniqueness that comes in the course, some of the elements of it, and how that really helps facilitate that learning in the course? Yeah. This is based on the notion that the expertise is not held by the professor, but is held by fellow students. So the 36 students in each of the sections are divided into three 12-person learning groups. And their job is to build a cohesive group in which they could learn from each other. But what do they learn? If I want to understand how I come across, what I do that's effective, what I do that's, in spite of myself, dysfunctional, the professor doesn't know that. I don't know that but my fellow students know that. So we build conditions where I can start to get that information, where I can test out showing more of myself and seeing what the impact is. So it's sort of a two for one. I learn this about myself, but I also learn how to do this. I learn how to give feedback, which most people don't know how to do, how to receive feedback, how to raise difficult issues, so that's the competencies that I gain, but I also, in that process, learn about myself. So I may be sitting on some thought that, gee, if people knew this about me, they wouldn't like me. And as the course goes on, I screw up my courage and I share part of that. And I find out, people say, no, that's not the fearsome thing that you thought. In fact, you come over as a little more human and a little less as a stuffed suit. And so the process of learning these competencies is the same process of learning about myself. So I want to talk about a few concepts from the book that I think stuck out to me and I think will be relevant to the audience. But I guess as a starting place, it's always good to start with definitions. So could you talk about what you define as a exceptional relationship? Yeah. Let me first start by saying the goal is not to make every relationship exceptional. We Relationships are in a continuum from superficial to friendly to sort of little cohesive up to exceptional. But what we stress is that you can move your relationships along that continuum if you want to. So let me answer your question. We define exceptional as six characteristics. One is, to what extent can I be myself? Can I let you know, David, not have to pretend that I'm something else, that I can be myself? Second, can I build conditions where you're encouraged to do the same thing? Because if you do it, I'm going to be more likely to do more. And if I do more, you're going to do more. So are we willing to be vulnerable with each other? It's a third characteristic. 
Fourth, can we tell the truth? Now, the truth, there's a difference between the whole truth, which we may not share, but we can tell more of the truth than we think we can. And part of what we learn this course is to stick with what I know, not stories I make up, because what I know is my truth. The other characteristic, fifth characteristic, is can we raise disagreements and can we resolve them in a way that not only resolves it, but further builds the relationship? So often we think that conflict and disagreements hurt the relationship, and that occurs when we don't raise it in a truthful way, which we can get to. But if we raise it where I stick with my reality, we find as difficult as it is to raise conflict, it can be a productive process. And finally, are we committed to each other's growth and development? Now, those are high standards. Each of those are along a continuum. And you don't have to be at the top end of all six to have exceptional. But as you move toward the upper end, you start to get an exceptional relationship. I can be myself. You can be yourself. We can trust each other. We know we tell the truth. We're committed to each other. And if you can start to have relationships at work that have many of those characteristics, work is more productive, it's less stressful, and your own personal learning increases. I like that you made a point of saying and making clear that the goal is not to necessarily have all exceptional relationships, and perhaps even that might not be realistic. And I'm curious to know, are there any other common things that perhaps we, and by we, maybe perhaps a collective we, get wrong about interpersonal relationships? What are the either the things that you see people misstep with, or perhaps even some of the misconceptions that we might have about interpersonal relationships? Yeah, and, and there are many, so let me name sort of the key ones. One is we fall in the trap of saying the chemistry has to be right. You have to be just the right person to fit just how I am. That limits how we are. Now, I may not be able to have a deep relationship with everybody, but my experience is we can have a sufficiently good one with almost anybody. Yeah, there's probably some people, and I have met them in my life, where I don't want anything to do with, but they aren't as many as we think they are. So we, in a sense, can have more control over the relationships we build than we think we can. The second trap we fall into is if there are problems, it's always the other person's fault. It's never me. And one of the things we stress is that interpersonal problems, which is why we call it interpersonal dynamics, interpersonal problems usually have an interpersonal component. I usually bring something to the table. Am I willing to look at that? And I think the third thing, which we can get to, is how I raise it so often tends to be accusatory and blaming, which makes things worse. And if I can have the orientation that, hey, I may be part of the problem, and I want to figure out what the devil is going on rather than you're at fault, then we're more likely to be successful, have a productive discussion, and both of us learn from it. 
One of the concepts in the book that I found really helpful to me in some of my relationships was this concept of the net. Can you talk about the net and why it's important? Yeah, it's it's really a crucial concept, and I'm glad, Al, that you picked up on that. We say that when two people are interacting, well, let's look at our interaction, you and me. There is not one reality. There's three realities. From my point of view, reality number one is my motives and intentions. So, to be somewhat obvious, I intend to be clear. I intend to be helpful. I intend to be somewhat succinct. Those are my intentions. I'm an expert on that. I know that part of David more than you do. The second reality is my behavior. My words, my tone, my gestures, nonverbals, etc., But the third reality is the impact of my behavior on you. So only you know whether I'm clear. Now, we're on video together and you are nodding. Now, maybe you just were raised to be polite and maybe you're bored out of your skull. I don't know that. If I'm to be effective, I need to have that information. I need to know the impact of my behavior on other people. And we usually don't get it. And if we get it, we get it when the other person is mad or angry or accusatory. And this course and the book talks about how you can find that out in a way that you can hear. Now, back to your question about the debt. I want you to think of a tennis net. And the tennis net between us is between my behavior and the impact on you. By the way, there's a second tennis net, which is between your behavior and impact on me. But let's stick with me for a minute. So there's a tennis net between how I'm acting. I can see how I act and the impact on you. And in tennis, you can't play in the other person's back court. (laughs) That's not legitimate. But when we give feedback or raise issues, we're usually over the net. So think about it. Often we say, particularly when we're upset, we say, you just want to dominate. I don't know what you want to do. I'm way over the net. I'm in your backcourt. Or we say, you just want to show how smart you are. Or you just want to control the discussion. Or you do this. And whenever we make those attributions, and we're making them up, that's our story, The other person tends to get defensive and it's unproductive. So let me make this up, but it's not true, Al. Let's assume, which you haven't done, that you interrupted me. If I say, you're just insensitive, that's an accusation. If I stick with my reality, if I stay on my side of the debt, I say, gee, Al, I really felt put down when you interrupted me, that I, in a sense, am sharing my reality, which is indisputable. You can't say, no, you don't, because you're over my net. So then we can have a discussion. The other problem when I make up stories, I'm over the net, is you can deny it. And if I say, gee, you just want to show how smart you are, you can say, no, I don't. And then we get nowhere. But if I stick with my reality, it's undeniable. And it's a very, very hard thing because we're so trained to try to understand the other person that we go over the net all the time. 
And one of the hardest things for students to learn is to say, what's going on for me? How am I feeling? What's the behavior? And then we can open up a conversation. Feedback like that starts a conversation. It doesn't end it. Hey there, it's Al. And thanks so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. I wanted to take a quick break to ask you a small favor. I'm loving doing this show, and I hope you're enjoying it too. If you're enjoying this episode, I would really appreciate it if you take a few minutes to leave a review and rate this podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, or simply share it on social media or send it to a friend. I'm incredibly grateful for your support. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. As you were saying some of those things out loud, I think one of the first things that I come to when you describe that is instead for me of going over the net and saying something, a lot of those things are often things that come up in my head. So I don't necessarily say them out loud, but they're thoughts that are in my head. And I think sometimes this is what uh, Brene Brown will often refer to as the story that we're telling ourselves. And so it, it lives in our head. Do you have any suggestions or ideas or thoughts around how do we make that perhaps one step further in a positive way in terms of not just letting it live in your head and ruminate, but instead perhaps doing something productive with that or healthier with that? Because in some respects, I can see it as being better than perhaps going over the net and vocalizing out loud. But I also presume it's not necessarily healthy for it to just being replayed in your head over and over and over again. Right. And and there's nothing wrong with us doing that. That's a natural human. Sure. Yeah. So I don't want us to feel guilty or we're doing something wrong. But you're right is what could we do that's the next step? And I think when we're making up those stories, the first thing we do is we need to say to ourselves, hey, I'm making up the story. I'm making this up. (laughs) And I think the next place to go, and this is often very hard, is to ask ourselves, what am I feeling? See, the course is called touchy-feely for a reason, that we very much stress the role of emotions. When we're feeling some strong emotion, that says something about us. And if I'm feeling something strong, can I stop and say, what the devil's going on with me? And often I'm not aware of it in the moment. But if I can step back and say, God, I'm really bothered about what Al has done. What's co- what am I feeling? Am I feeling put down? Am I feeling made to feel, inf- do I feel inferior? Do What's going on for me? And then the next step is to say, what's the behavior? And that's actually relatively hard because in behavior, we often move to attributes. So we say, well, the behavior is you dominate. Domination isn't a behavior. I want to know the specific behavior. Did you raise your voice at me? Now, that's a behavior. Did you interrupt me? That's a behavior. And if I can stick with that, then I could raise it in a way that moves away from my story. And I can say, gee, Al, this is how I'm feeling. And I'm feeling this when you do X. What's going on? And in most cases, you're likely to say, that's not my intention. I think what we need to realize is a wonderful phrase. The road to hell is lined with good intentions. It's not our intentions that get us in trouble. It's our behavior. And that's why I need to know the impact of my behavior. One other, I think, helpful 
framework or topic in the book for me was this concept and idea of self-disclosure. And I think this is was important for me because it flipped a little bit of how I traditionally think about trying to strengthen a relationship with someone else. Can you talk about what self-disclosure is and why it can be valuable in a relationship? Many reasons. One is one of the reasons we make up stories is we want to understand the other person. If I don't disclose about myself, and I'll define it in a minute, that's you're going to fill in that void. You're going to start to try to figure me out. So I lose control if I don't disclose about myself because you're going to fill in that gap. Disclosure takes many forms. We often think that it's something illegal or immoral or fattening, uh, but usually what's important is sharing what's going on for me right now, particularly my feelings. So, for example, I'm having fun with this interview. It's exciting. I find myself energized. And I also am enjoying talking about the course in the book because those are really what my life's work has been about. Well, that's a form of self-disclosure. I told you my feelings. I told you why it was important to me. And you probably could have guessed that. But telling it, why shouldn't I tell it? And talking self-disclosure is not bragging about all the things we've done, though that can sometimes be important. But it's more sharing what's going on for me right now particularly in this relationship. So, Al, I'm enjoying talking with you. You ask good questions and you seem interested and this is fun. I'll self-disclose myself and suggest that I would feel very similarly. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I really like digging into these topics and I'm grateful that you and your co-author, Dr. Carol Bradford, have put so much thought and intention to, I think, a topic that is a, relevant for everyone because we all have relationships, but specifically very important and relevant for people who, in many cases, will be leading organizations of people where they not only will have critical relationships, but will also hopefully be responsible for cultivating some of these behaviors for the people who have relationships in their organization. And I think perhaps on that and segueing a little bit here, you have the pleasure of perhaps seeing a little bit of the transformation of many students who go through your class and then go on to navigate through their time at GSB and go off to become alum. And in preparing for this interview, I read some of the folks who wrote blurbs for your book, as well as just some of the things that have been written about MBA students and alum who have taken your course and who have talked about how much this course has helped them uh, as people, but also as leaders. Uh, could you share maybe just a little thoughts or reflections as to why the work that you and your co-instructor have done has, do you think has played such a role and impact? And what is it, what do you think it's really done for people in terms of their own leadership journey as MBA graduates? A couple of things. One is the world's getting increasingly diverse in terms of nationality, ethnicity, or in sexual orientation, so on, values. We're increasingly accepting of a diversity of values. And we know that 
diversity, when it is used, increases productivity. Uh, diversity that's not used isn't necessarily functional. So the ability to build relationships with these diverse people is terribly important in terms of organizational success. If you as a manager try to hire people who are just like you, you're missing an awful lot because we need these different viewpoints, these different orientations. So I think that what we hear from alumni is that they're able to work with a wider range of people than they thought possible and able to work with them in a productive way to be able to use their differences rather than forcing the other person to be like them. I think the other thing is that disagreements are really an opportunity to learn. Disagreements are not a sign of failure. Disagreements mean, gee, there's something going on here. What can we learn to be more productive? What can I learn about myself? What can you learn about yourself? What can we learn about how we're relating to each other? And I think that people are seeing these disagreements not as something to avoid or sweep under the rug, but something to lean into. It still may be uncomfortable, it may be difficult, but to lean into and come out the other side. I think the other thing that's gratifying is we hear people say, yeah, this has really been useful work. We hear many alumni say, I use this every week. But we also hear people say, it saved my marriage. I now have a better relationship with my teenagers than I had before. And that's very gratifying because we want to educate, train the whole person, not just a leader, not just a member of our organization, and that they are taking what they have learned from this course and from the book and applying it to all the relationships is very satisfying. Maybe just one last question while I have you on the MBA Insider podcast, but you have the privilege or have had the privilege of teaching in the GSB for a handful of decades. And I know that you've probably talked to, coached, mentored, advised many MBAs as they've navigated through their time in business school. Any pieces of advice that you might have for some of our audience members out there who are perhaps either in business school right now or about to start business school about what they can do in their time in their business school experience to make the most of that time to really develop and grow? Let me answer that two ways. One is to answer it explicitly. I think the simple answer is to say, make the most of it. Too often, and this is unfortunately true at Stanford, people see the MBA as a chance to make relationships. As alumni say, you're going to build relationships that will last you the rest of your life. That's true. But they ignore the real value of education. We have some of the smartest professors, the other people, of any school. And students don't make as full use of it as they could. Full use of it in the classroom, full use of it after the classroom in talking to the professor and pursuing issues further. So I think I would say you're spending all that money, you're spending two years of your life, you're spending two years in which you're not earning anything, delve into it, really get into it. The second thing I would say is, as I have coached executives for over 50 years, the one ability that differentiates those that are successful and those that aren't 
is the ability to learn. Most people don't learn. They get defensive. They get stuck in their ways. And Carol, my co-author, has a wonderful phrase. She says, when you find yourself in a difficulty, treat it like you, you're in an AFOG. You say, what the hell's an AFOG? AFOG stands for another fucking opportunity to grow. And if you could see every new opportunity as an opportunity to grow. I've met more than one manager who says, I've never failed. I've only had learning experiences. So can you see failures as learning opportunities, not as something to excuse away and to deny? So can one take a learning orientation in everything you do, in your marriage, in parenting, as an employee, and as a leader? I love both of those pieces of advice. David Bradford is senior lecturer at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and the co-author of Connect, Building Exceptional Relationships with Family, Friends, and Colleagues. Thank you so much for joining the MBA Insider Podcast. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Al. Hi, everyone. Al D. here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.